Hey book nerds, ready for chapter two of the book club? Let's get started. This chapter's quote is the verse that Eve chose for Tom's funeral holy card, which comes from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. The time is here for me to leave this life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. St. Luke's Catholic Church, like the village of Riverton, was small but important. The Gothic architecture, with its dark wood and beams, the blazing beauty of the stained glass and the intricate grillwork, was an impressive display of both artisan talent and the devotion of wealthy patrons. Riverton's Catholics fell to their knees in St. Luke's in consistently steady numbers each Sunday. Yet, even by Riverton's standards, the turnout for Tom Porter's funeral service was impressive. Well-dressed people, their summer tans glowing, overflowed the narrow aisles and spilled outside the arched wooden doors. Doris Bridges took her place at the front of the church. She held her hands firmly on the pew ahead of her, and with her chin held at a jaunty angle, she viewed the procession of people much in the manner of a general surveying the troops. She was broad-boned and wide-hipped, and her full chest heaved with a deep personal satisfaction. It was a good thing she'd stepped in at the last minute to take charge of the funeral arrangements, she thought to herself. She hated to think of what a fiasco it could have been without her. A travesty. Poor Eve, she was utterly disappointed. Usually her friend was so organized and creative, but Tom's death had shocked her into a comatose state. And her in-laws. <sighs> useless. They were positively ancient. Certainly not up to the task of a large funeral. Doris mentally patted herself on the back for doing what any, would fr any good friend would have done. And she'd done well, she'd thought, looking over the altar with a proprietary air. Dozens of tall white lilies adorn the snow-lined, snowy-linen-draped altar. Beside it, near the communion rail, stood a table on which she'd placed a large, recent photograph of Tom and a single spectacular assortment of white flowers. Eve adored flowers. Doris had personally selected the unusual blooms, knowing Eve would notice her touch. She couldn't trust a florist not to fill in the arrangement with carnations. Doris sat a pew behind the grieving family, far enough to allow them privacy, but close enough that others would know she was a close, personal friend. She tilted her head 
and casually searched the crowd for familiar faces. Of course, she knew many of the people, either through social contracts, school, or business. Her gaze was arrested by a tall, red-headed, sobbing uncontrollably in the side vestibule. Doris didn't recognize her. Then again, how could anyone get a good look at her under that enormous floppy black hat? Well, for pity's sake, Doris thought with indignation. Such a showy spectacle. You'd think she was a widow. Some woman had no self-control. It was her duty as a ranking member of the community to set the tone, she supposed. When she made eye contact with the woman, she offered a careful, brief smile of acknowledgement with a message to rein it in. But the woman was oblivious and sobbed on. She turned to look again at Tom's widow, who, in contrast, stood still and silent. She appeared little more than a faint shadow behind her black lace mantilla. Doris's heart seized with love for her friend. Here was a woman who deserved to sob. Eve was so utterly alone. Tom had been the pillar of her life. He had such vivacity and drive. He was well-known, liked, and respected by everyone. Eve, however, was a private sort of person, very warm and friendly, but reserved. Tom and the children made up her world, and though she volunteered her time, she wasn't social. Doris recalled how once, over coffee, Eve had confided that the most important women in her life were the book club. Doris, who was extremely social, had understood and quietly agreed with her. Where were the girls? She wondered, craning her neck to scan the crowd. She spotted Gabriella across the aisle seated with her husband, Fernando, and their four children. They nearly filled the whole pew. The apples certainly didn't fall far from the tree in that bunch, she thought, as she surveyed the long line of gleaming black hair on bowed heads. They were a handsome family, devoted to each other. Gabby was loved by everyone who knew her, not only because her dazzling wide smile and dancing dark eyes cheered everyone simply by looking at her, but because her intrinsic goodness was obvious in her generous, caring gestures. It was typical of Gabby that in the past several days she had fretted over lackluster Eve and her poor fatherless babies and had brought a truckload of home-cooked meals to Eve's house. It was no wonder Gabby's shoulders drooped today. Behind Gabriella sat Midge, Midge, Cursage, alone as usual. She wasn't an attractive woman physically, but even at a distance, anyone could see the strength in the straightness of her lean shoulders and the steadiness of her dark eyes dark-eyed gaze, dark-eyed gaze, and the dramatic clash of a long-flowing black skirt and military blue shawl. Of course you had to be tall to carry off such a, such vintage clothing, Doris thought with a sniff, but she had to admit Mitch delivered her own signature style to everything.
she did. Annie Blake walked up the aisle, then paused just outside her own pew. Doris felt a flush of envy and sucked in her gut as she caught sight of Annie's willowy figure draped in an impeccably cut dove gray suit of a quality worthy of a successful lawyer. Everything about Annie smacked of sleek control. Her gray, sexy, high patent pump shone. Her itsy-bitsy black leather pert screamed order, and not one of her fine, perfectly blended golden hairs dared to slip from the shigon at the nape of her long neck. No matter how much money she spent, Doris knew she'd never look like that. Deep in her heart, Doris was convinced it was a cult secret that thin, attractive, successful women kept to themselves just to drive plumpy, dumpy women like her crazy. Annie's cat-like gaze flicked expertly over those who sat nearby, and Doris knew no detail escaped that radar sweep. When her gaze fell on Doris and their eyes met, Annie smiled in polite recognition. Then, with the quick decision typical of Annie, gracefully slipped in beside Midge. Doris's hand smoothed the creases from her navy linen skirt that was straining at the buttons. It was several years old, not at all as stylish as Annie's, but a good suit was designed to last. Hadn't her mother worn Chanel suits when they were decades old? Quality was always in style, her mother always told her. Still, the waistband pinched mercilessly, and Doris promised herself as she sucked in her stomach that tomorrow she'd begin. That protein diet she'd been reading about. And exercise, too. God only knew how many tomorrows we all have, she thought. Looking again at the gleaming wood and brass casket that rested before the altar. Who could have imagined Tom Porter would die so suddenly? She'd always thought he was full of life, so handsome, with a quick smile and flashing dark eyes. More than once she'd envied Eve for the happiness and passion that was obvious in their marriage. So unlike her own, Doris brought her fingertips to her lips. It was always a shock when a vibrant man died, but when that person was as young as Tom Porter, everyone took the loss personally. Of course, everyone felt real sorrow and pity for the wife and children left without a husband and father. But an early death hit home because each survivor of a certain age felt the dark shadow pass over, reminding them that death was not reserved only for the old, that each day could be their last. Feeling a sudden twinge of worry for her own husband, Doris turned her head and searched the entrance for an for the umpteenth time for a sign of him. Her heart beat with hope when she saw Annie's husband John enter the church. 
his long Swedish figures, and the perpetual tan that contrasted with his white blonde hair were easy to spot. He towered over those who clustered near the entrance. His piercing blue eyes scanned the crowd. Doris knew the moment he located Annie because his face broke into a smile at the very sight of her. He moved with the grace of an athlete towards the front of the church to meet his wife, unaware that the heads of women, young and old, turned as he passed. Doris's heart skipped a beat, wondering what it would be like to be so adored by a man. Again, she anxiously watched the door, expecting R.J. to follow John in. John worked for her husband, and it seemed natural that they would arrive from the meeting together. After a few minutes, she checked her watch. Her worry instantly altered to peak. He was inexcusably late to think he had the audacity to imply that he might not be able to make it to the porter funeral at all. Doris recalled how last night she'd put her foot down. Imagine not showing up for a f- neighbor's, a friend's, a dear friend's funeral service just because of a business meeting. It was beyond rude. It was unconceivable. Everyone would notice. She couldn't help the tisk escaped from her lips. How could he do this to her? This sort of thing was happening far too often lately and was growing harder to make excuses for. And his hours, impossible. She really had to talk him out about, had to talk to him again about those late nights. He wasn't a young man anymore. At 54, he drank too much and did nothing but push, push, push with his construction company. That was the right formula for a heart attack. If he wasn't careful, she'd be the grieving widow, all alone, like Eve. She shuddered at the thought and glanced warily at the casket, then over at Eve. Poor, poor Eve. The black suit dwarfed her delicate frame, and the long lace Mantilla accentuated her face, face's wintry whiteness. From beneath the veil, Eve's watery blue eyes stared at the casket with stricken disbelief. She looked so fragile, paper-thin, like a shell of a cicada left behind on the trunk of a tree. A sudden gust of air could blow her away. She was flanked on either side by two by her two children. With a sudden rush of emotion, Doris reached out to clutch the hands of her own daughter, Sarah, and her son, Bobby, standing at her sides. Teenagers, they tilted their heads back to look at her quizzically, then with embarrassment. She saw bits of herself in their faces, and a lot of RJ, living with breathing proofs of their union, she squeezed their hands tightly. Family was everything, she thought. Poor Eve to have lost Tom. The thought of losing RJ, of being alone, filled Doris with fear. Annie couldn't wait to be alone. She stood at the base of the church's outside stairs, tapping her foot, waiting for John to bring the car around. 
A final few stragglers chatted in a small in small clusters in the open vestibule, but everyone else had left, either for the open house at Eve's or home. Annie felt consumed with an unusual despondency, a strange sense of floundering in rocky waters. Tom's death came as such a shock. Just a few weeks ago, he was laughing as they chased him out of out of the living room for a book club meeting. She'd come home late from the office to hear the news on the phone from Gabriella. It hit, it hit so hard that she drank too much wine and clung to John all night long. She was an exilient and didn't believe in afterlife. So why his death shook her so deeply, she didn't know. It's not like they were even close. Eve was her friend, not Tom, though she liked Tom well enough. The book club treated the husbands politely, and twice a year they partied together. Nice fellows, but in truth, they barely knew them. The husbands were just sort of there, like window dressing. Still, Tom's death shook her, shook them all. Someone she knew hailed her as he passed by and mumbled something about what a terrible shock this all was. She responded in kind and sighed in relief when she saw his back. God, she hated these things. The somber faces, everyone screaming out pat phrases, and Doris lording over them like high, like a high priestess. And who was that redhead carrying on in the vestibule? She wanted to walk right up to her and slap her. Get a life, lady. He wasn't your husband. For crying out loud. Eve hadn't cried. That's what troubled her. It pained to see her. It pained her to see the stricken look on Eve's face as they wheeled the casket away. Her instincts told her that Eve's feelings ran deeper than grief. Was it fear or perhaps guilt? Over what? Annie couldn't imagine. Eve and Tom had held one of the perf- those perfect marriages that gave the rest of them hope. People could always point to the porters as living, breathing proof that good marriages still survived. Still, as a lawyer, she'd handled, handled many divorces, and over the years she'd learned that behind closed doors there were three sides to every story. His, hers, and the truth. Annie sighed sadly and shook her head, sure that the look of utter devastation on Eve's face if she stared at her husband's coffin, was too raw for an easy acceptance and peace. She counseled far too many women over the years to miss that look now. A brief beep from the curb was a welcome break from this train of thought. She looked up to see John's long fingers waving her towards the B- their B&W. Are you ready to go home? He asked when she climbed in. Annie smiled up at John's solicitous face and nodded, her eyes expressing her gratitude that he would he could pick her up could pick up on her needs so effortlessly. John was always there for her, watching out for her, caring for her. He really did spoil her. I'm more than ready, she replied settling in and closing the door. She was relieved when the car swung away from the curb, leaving the church behind them. Thank God that's over. What an ordeal, 
Who knew Catholic masses could be so long? There wasn't a dry eye in the house. She began unbuttoning her suit jacket to the cool air conditioning. While she did, she recalled the emotional eulogy and the message that one's time on earth was finite. While the priest implied that one should prepare for heaven, her personal credo was to live each day of as if it were her last. How's Eve? John wanted to know. I'm worried about her, she shrugged. But there's nothing I can do for Eve now. Doris has everything under control at the moment, as usual. The latter she muttered under her breath. My turn to help will come later, when she needs legal advice. I hope Tom took care of her. That's all I can say. Otherwise... It'll be tough going for her. She brought her fingers to her brow and closed her eyes against the sorrow she felt for her friend's suffering that pierced straight to the morrow. Eve appeared lost. It was clear she was going to need a lot of guidance. Annie knew what, f what that felt like, knew how many hard knocks a woman could receive when she forged a new life of her own. She knew, too, that she'd be right by Eve's side every step of the way. Let's go get something to eat, John suggested. Right now, I could use a good, stiff drink. John's eyes narrowed and his hands held the wheel tighter. Isn't a bit early for a drink? We haven't eaten a real meal yet today. How about we go out for a late lunch? Then, seeing her wrinkled nose, he said, Okay, we'll call it an early dinner. Annie waved away his suggestions, annoyed by his worry about her drinking. I'm not the least hungry. My craw is crammed full with sadness and death and depression. She shook her hands in front of her, releasing the tension. God, that funeral was just too, too sad. It's really staying with me. I'm sick of death and sympathy. Don't you feel the need to do something? Oh, I don't know. Something to reconfirm life? Eating confirms life. No. What I really want right now is to go my go to my own home, have a nice cold drink from my own glass, then make hot, passionate love with my own husband all afternoon. John's frown turned upward. Sounds good to me. I thought it might, she said, catching his smile. Her palms itched to rub over his smooth flesh, to feel the warmth of his life's blood, to rub skin against skin. She was a, he was a beautiful man, inside and out, and she loved him, needed him, more at this moment than ever before. This emotional tide had to be a result of the funeral, she decided. It wasn't usual for her to have these gushy feelings racing through her, but today in the church, she'd had some kind of epiphany. Watching Eve walk down the aisle of the church behind Tom's casket, Annie was struck by how fiercely Eve had clasped the hands of her two children.